This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to another episode of the Crowncast. And like we have done on so many Crowncasts, things are going to be a little bit weird. Uh, We are playing a game today on Wednesday uh, against Orlando City. We are recording this right before that game. We're not going to be talking Orlando City because you're not going to have a chance to hear it. Uh, So instead, we're going to be talking about Nashville, who we will play next week, but we're not going to be talking about Orlando City. So we're just going to kind of have to roll with it. And ultimately, what it all comes down to is colors. And here to discuss colors with me is Josh. Hello, Josh. Hello, hello. And Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Yes, hello. Uh, So, guys, we have this thing we do where we get in. And we, we talk a little bit about the questions that we're going to be talking about the day. And I've started color coding things so I don't mess it up live because that just makes life easier. And uh, we, we've agreed beforehand that colors are most important. Josh, would you say getting getting your correct color is is what matters in the crown cast? I threatened to quit if I didn't get my color. So I would agree. Dang, wait, I didn't know that. I didn't know. It. Did you like tell you in this? I didn't I didn't get the two weeks notice. <laughs> um, well, we're not worried about Ewan because Ewan actually likes all of the colors, uh, despite the fact that he always gets blue. Uh, Ewan, you good, you good with blue? Oh, yeah. Blue's fine for me. I'll, I'll fit in. I mean, I'll fit in with whatever's spare. But yeah, I actually do kind of like the blue because it's the Charlotte blue that I have. The uh, mm. yeah, the kind of mint blue. So it's kind of fitting. I feel like it's almost a privilege. It is, yeah. Uh, we we know we know who the people love here. That that person gets the mint blue, and I got purple, <laughs> which will tell you what people think of me. I don't actually know what that means. I hope it's a good thing. Uh, and now that we have uh, wasted far too much time talking about colors, let's talk about a game that Charlotte FC actually won, and really, I think won deservedly against a very good team in LAFC. LA comes to the bank. Uh, they find out that despite the fact that everybody else in the league has been robbing us. They are not very good thieves, uh, or we are very good at stopping people from robbing us. There are some questions as to whether we managed to impose our game on them or whether they sat back a little too far and gave us the space. Um, I'm going to jump on this this first, and I'm going to say, as I was watching this, I was really trying to pin down whether... Because LA, as, as a general rule, doesn't necessarily want all of the ball. They want to transition. They want to counterattack. I couldn't figure out if they couldn't get out because they were just being too passive. Or if Charlotte FC was actually managing to put sort of their their boot on LA's neck and hold them down. And I came to the conclusion that I think Breck Diagra was a big impact in this game in a way that a lot of people might not have expected. If you watch this back, Brecht is all over the place, but he's holding a slightly lower position on the field on that left side than we might expect out of a Justin Miram or certainly a Kerwin Vargas. He's willing to cut into the midfield. He's willing to move really central and sort of rotate with Carol Schwederski. And as a result, we see Carol taking up a lot of space on the left. We also see that that, that sort of whole side is a little bit more connected. I think Brecht was a huge part of the reason that LA was struggling to get out alongside a couple of other players. I do think there's an element of this game where you have to put it through the 
I don't I don't know what the right phrase here is, but you have to put it through whatever machine spits out that the other team wanted to give us the space. But I also think we have a, a, a valid, solid claim to Charlotte went out and and held them and played our game the way we wanted to. Uh, let's go, Ewan. I'm going to I'm going to jump you on this one. Uh, what do you think? Do you think Charlotte was able to play our game or do you think LA just sat back too far? Um, yeah, I think with both stuff like this, it's a little bit of both. Um, I do think, like we've mentioned before with with Charlotte, that seems like this almost play into our hands a little bit in the way that we're able to build up, being a little more resistant than uh, some teams would in their press. So we're able to get into quite high positions um, quite easily. What especially helps in a game like this, and maybe this has come from the fact that we've played a few games like this in a row um, and we're making the adjustments off of it, is that you mentioned there, uh, Brecht, uh, help me out with that surname production, uh, pronunciation again. I think you had it nailed Di- there. <laughs> Diagra. Brecht? Diagra. Diagra. Yeah. You meant- there you go. Yeah, Brecht Diagra. You mentioned his positioning there. Um, but the other part of it, is Karol Svidersky's positioning or change of positioning. So we have a couple of things there where things are being adjusted based off the, you know, the lack of pressure from the opposition where players are playing a little bit more free in their roles. I think that point in terms of how the midfield are playing is definitely, um, definitely a, a good one because not to kind of step on the first goal too much, but the fact that there isn't that level of pressure means that our midfield can get into high positions. Um, yep. Whether that be whether that be the fact that it seemed like Derek Jones and Brant Bronico were playing higher than Westwood generally, uh, in terms of the standard formation, but still Westwood is able to get access into the box because we're not having that level of threat at the same time. So yeah, it's almost a case of what LAFC do and how they set up almost lends itself into us being a bit more comfortable into what we want to do in terms of getting players up the field narrow. So I do think when you balance it out like that, you think. Was it more Charlotte? Was it more LAFC? I almost think it's more of an adjustment made either before the game or during the game uh, from Latanzio. And he deserves credit for that. Ooh, crediting Christian Latanzio. That's a bold statement. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> yeah, I've done, I've, done enough, I've done enough negativity. I feel like it's important to point it out when the opportunity comes. So, um, yeah, people don't think I have an agenda or something. So, yeah, it's, it's all, yeah, no, it was, it was good from him. So, yeah, fair enough. We are on video, and as you were crediting Christian Latanzio, just the widest, most awkward smile crossed over Josh's face. <laughs> um, I do think you, I think you point out something really good in that we have to talk about player positioning because there were a lot of, of players out of position slash playing different positions. Out of position is probably not the right word, phrase to use there, English hard. Uh, Josh, save me. It was Brant Bronico's uh, bobblehead day. A lot of people said he was kind of invisible. How did you perceive this performance from him? And take the words away from me so I don't have to use them. <laughs> so I think that I think there's an argument to be made that he was a bit invisible. When you look at the stats, I mean, he only had, I think, somewhere around 37 touches the entire game, which from a midfielder maybe jumps out a little bit to you as, as not being involved. But I also think that his game was quiet because Westwood's was just so loud. I thought Westwood demanded the ball the entire game. It shows up in the stats. He's, I think, our second highest touch, has the second highest number of touches this game. He is involved 
in that first goal, he's involved in some other chances. So I think that Veronico's quiet game was more of a function of the role he was also playing. And I know we'll get on to to where Derek Jones was playing as well. And I think that Brant was partnering with Derek Jones and his primary responsibility was not to be a instrumental part of this. I think I think Brant was ceding that to Swiderski and to Westwood. Um, but I think we also have to give him credit. On that second goal, he is the one who who kind of starts that move a little bit. He's the one who plays a ball into our field that then we'll get onto um onto with that goal. But um it was a quiet game, I think, from from a numbers perspective, but I think it was a game where he was my hope is that he was following direction and that's why it was a quiet game. He was doing more off the ball stuff than, than on the ball stuff. Yeah. When I watched it back, uh, what I found was that he was doing a lot of the runs that drew people away and he was doing a lot of the hard yards. And something that I think has to be said about Brant's performance is that he has been Bender on his right. And we discussed this very briefly. We almost didn't even mention that Ben Bender played on the right. Because I think the most notable thing about that performance is that it was Ben Bender. It, it was a decent performance. It wasn't a shockingly bad performance. It wasn't an impressively good performance. It was a, a player on the right who this time happened to be Ben Bender. But I don't think Ben and Brant, despite the BB15, BB13 combo there, um, I don't think they've had that much time to really learn how to connect with each other. So I don't think Ben being that wide player over there helped a ton. I think that kind of lended to the invisibility, but I do think he put in some really good hard yards on his day. I want to talk about DJ's positioning because DJ's positioning is nuts. I don't think there's a lot of people who would have walked into this game <laughs> and said, yeah, DJ, uh, if we're going to play a 4-1-4-1, DJ going to be the high left side. What 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 is happening, Josh? Tell me tell me about DJ. Yeah, so this is actually something where if you uh, follow us on Twitter and you should, um, there was some conversation about this that got started with the uh, the Spanish voice for for Charlotte Ramos about how high DJ was, and it was for it was to negate Ilya Sanchez on LAFC. And when I was talking about the tandem thing with Brandt, when you look at the heat maps, they're both in similar areas, actually. And it appears that the plan was to stop Sanchez from getting on the ball. It's reflected in the numbers. Ilya Sanchez averages about 62 touches per 90. This game, he had 26. Um, this was an example. We go back to this idea of did LA let us play? Did we pin them back? Both are true, in my opinion. Yeah, they let us play, but we said, if you're going to let us play, we're going to stop you from playing by taking away a guy who facilitates a lot of your your stuff in Sanchez. And so it's a, it's a surprising thing, and I don't think that this is something we should expect to happen every single game. Um, but for this particular match, I think both Brant and DJ, and DJ in particular, were, ta were tasked with don't let Sanchez be on the ball. If he gets on the ball, don't let him have a lot of time on it. And they did that, I think, really well. And I think that's why um, we we end up with a win is because of that strategy for that particular player. Wait, are you telling me that we did the tactics good? I, I am telling you that Ewan was not lying. And I think we have to give 
Christian Latanzio some credit. <laughs> well, welcome to the Crowncast, ladies and gentlemen, the show where we have traditionally given Christian Latanzio lots of credit. Uh, <laughs> I I do want to make a note about DJ that's not all Christian Latanzio. I think that DJ really thrives when he has creative players around him because he just creates a space on the pitch that that the creative players can can kind of ask him to carry the water right the the positional stuff the discipline the cutting out balls the all of the things that if you would look at like traditional number 10s they didn't necessarily do dj does that for everybody in that space it's amazing to watch it's really something special in his game and he's such a big body that he's hard to push out of that space what that looked like to me is it really resulted in in uh Tiagra, in Carol Schroderski, and in Ashley Westwood, the players surrounding him there, having the freedom to go out and express themselves in this game. And I can't swear to you that if you put X other player in that position, those other three would have been quiet. But I can tell you that one person was in the middle carrying the water for all three of them, and all three of them looked, the, if not the best we've ever seen them, among the best we've ever seen them. One of those guys isn't necessarily fair. That's the first time we've seen him. <laughs> but <laughs> I will, uh, I'll push on with this to, to Carol, who I, you know, I've just talked about. He got man of the match for this one. He has uh, an assist, almost another goal, and then another tech. Does he get a technical assist for the second one, Josh? For the rebound off the keeper? In my opinion, no, but I have no idea how MLS I don't, I don't does their assist because MLS he did, hands them out. He, like he, he, he didn't even technically get an assist for the first because they've deemed it a deflection. But really? obviously, yeah, he, he obviously oh creates God. the goal, but yeah, he technically <laughs> didn't get a MLS registered assist. So, well, MLS assists don't count he, anyways. <laughs> he wanted if, two and he came away with zero. If Carol Schroederski left that match without even an assist, there is some injustice going on. Uh, all right, Ewan, <laughs> t talk to us about Carol. How did he become the lightning rod that he became in this game? I think it goes back to what we were speaking um, about with him kind of having that freedom um, to interpret space the way he did, uh, relating with with Brett on that left side, this is uh, this is the best version of him because with players like Carroll, there are sort of similar players like him at every level of football where you understand that the talent is obvious. You understand that they have certain qualities, but you have a hard time fitting them into a functional side. We've experienced that before earlier this season and then even last season where it's like, we've signed Enzo to be our number nine. We've got these players. We've signed a load of wingers. Where does he play? He's obviously good, but where does he actually fit in the side? And really, this is the best version of him in this type of setup where he has that freedom as a number nine to drift into this area because he knows that a midfielder has the freedom to go into this area, drift into this area because he knows that a winger is going to drift inside a little bit. So getting the best version of Karol Svodersky is by having a setup like this. And it almost goes hand in hand with the fact that Latanzio, now through playing Derek Jones in the position that he is, like the best advice you can give anyone in life is to just kind of be yourself. It feels like Latanzio as a head coach is now being himself. We know that he's someone who wants to play incredibly out of possession um, oriented lineups and that to be the focus of his teams. And then in possession, he wants there to be, he wants his teams to play very narrow, 
but with little bits of freedom, which we've seen in parts in the past, but now with a full interpretation of it now, with two wingers, well, two players playing on the wings who aren't wingers, who can drift into those areas. We saw Ben Bender coming inside a few times, saw Brett obviously coming in there a few times also. This almost feels like the evolved version of what Latanzio has always wanted, at least for these last few months, where his philosophy has come clear. And it works for him because it's better coaching exactly. You're always going to be best at coaching exactly what you believe in. And it fits right into what Svidersky is good at. So it's almost perfect that we're now playing the exact type of football that our head coach always seems to have wanted, but couldn't figure it out for himself because it's his first time as a head coach. And it fits right into the style of what I believe to be, uh, or who I believe our best player to be. So I'm going to stick you with you for this one, Ewan, because it's just sort of popped into my head. And that's, we have seen now this, this very effective from Carroll. We've seen him have a few games in the past where he popped up and he was, he was super effective. And then the next game, he just sort of go away. How do you feel like for Carroll, he replicates this in the future? Well, there's a lot of game state that goes into it. Obviously, we're not always going to have as passive an opposition as we got in LAFC. Uh, so let's just say theoretically that we have a team that is pressing us pretty aggressively and being generally aggressive out of possession against us. What's, to go back to your question, how does Karas Federsky still affect the game in that kind of circumstance? I think the answer to that is him actually playing quite deep. I think him becoming a part of the build-up in those, in those moments is the solution in a way that we saw under Latanzio last season in a 4-2-3-1 setup, him becoming a part of that build-up with the two wingers playing high with a midfielder playing beyond him. I think against a team that's going to play aggressive out of possession, that's the solution. Now, what comes as a result of that? I think you probably have to put a more conventional winger in the side to make that work. I think you probably have to have a midfielder who makes more sense getting ahead of the play than you do in either Derek Jones or Brad Bronico because they're, they're, those two playing in those roles is with a massive out-of-possession focus, whereas you have to probably make that adjustment if a team is playing high up against you because generally if a team's playing high up against you in their press, your out-of-possession stuff still matters, but it has to be adjusted. The context of your out-of-possession stuff is different because you're not going to be playing as high against them. They're going to generally tilt the field a different way. So to answer your question in terms of if this, if we get this kind of opposition with this kind of game plan again, it should be easy to replicate what we just saw because Carroll has that technical uh, flaw. But if we're playing teams with different setups, the main version I have on my mind being a high press team that's going to play a bit more aggressively, that's the adjustment that I believe will come. Carol Svodersky playing a little bit deeper, being given that freedom to help the build up and players playing beyond him. I'm thinking in my mind, someone like Ashley Westwood in the way that he scored his goal on the weekend, him playing ahead of the play. Yeah. Uh, it, Ashley Westwood was such a big effect in this one, and I think he will continue to be in this team, along with a lot of others. I'm going to go to you, Josh, really quick, ask if you have any opinions on that, and then I'm going to put both of us on blast. So, so get ready for that. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will just say that I... When we're able to free up Ashley the way we were today, I, I think I think Ewan is probably the one who said it when when Ashley was when we got Ashley and he was coming over. His ability to make passes and I think to to set tempo for this team is something that we desperately missed last year and something that I don't know that anyone else in this team can replicate. And so I think we can talk about Schwederski a lot and like how do we get the best out of him, but I think 
I think if he's the one A, Ashley almost has to be the one B about how do we free up him to control a game and to be as influential as he is because our best games this year, and I count this one amongst it, have been where he has been able to get on the ball consistently and we got to get him on the ball consistently. Yeah, I think there was something from Ashley just the fact that because he was technically playing that six, I think that there is something about how much space was given to him by L.A., that just allowed us to see all the best of Ashley, and he really didn't have the troubles of having to worry about the Six's responsibilities. And I love that. If any of the other MLS teams want to take notes and let and do that, you know, just allow Ashley to run the midfield from the Six position, all, all the good stuff. Some of the stuff that maybe wasn't so good. We call them uh, er, way too early season predictions and hot hot takes because they're way too early season predictions and their hot takes. And uh, Josh, I hate to say it, but I think at this point in time, you and I were both wrong. <laughs> uh, do you remember your way too, uh, way too early prediction hot take? Uh, if it's incorrect, I don't remember it because I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely did for the, the listeners who, who probably have it written down somewhere. Uh, Josh's, uh, Josh's way too early hot take was a concern that Brant Bronico, by his bobblehead day, would not be playing at Charlotte FC. What? Hold or on, hold be, on. I said he wouldn't be starting. I said he wouldn't be starting. Oh, and look yes. who remembers it now. Well, if I'm going to be wrong, I want to be <laughs> accurately wrong, okay? <laughs> so you can you can point all the vitriol you want at me, but make well, sure it's accurate. <laughs> they're not just going to be pointing it at you, because my hot take was that I thought uh, Ben Bender would actually make less game squads than the number on his back because I thought he was falling out of favor with Christian Latanzio. And he has been in every single game squad <laughs> and he has started a fair number of them. <laughs> so uh, that's we why they it. call them hot takes. <laughs> we did it. We were yeah. wrong like we wanted to be. <laughs> we were we were wrong on all fronts. Uh, and if you can't celebrate that, if you can't laugh at that, you can't laugh at anything because gosh knows the internet will. All right, we're going to go on to talking about the goals themselves. And I'm going to talk about uh, the first goal that, that Charlotte scores, the Ashley Westwood goal. The combination uh, uh, that we see in this team that we've talked about earlier with all of these different players up high, all of that stuff matters. But ultimately, this is made by Carol Swiderski who his effort and his freedom to go to that outside and his willingness and the thing that we keep talking about Carol or that I have said about Carol, cause everyone knows I'm not the biggest Carol supporter is Carol will run his butt off. If he believes there's a play, he will work harder than anybody on that field. If he believes there's a way through, right. And he is always looking for that next way through. We talked about it when he had that amazing touch uh, touchline pullback that crossed back for Jalen Lindsay for the goal. Um, we've talked about it time and time again. If Carroll's genius level brilliance, fifth dimensional mind sees a way, he will run harder than anyone. And he's the one who sprints out to that left side, makes an opportunity, gets across. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's not the best cross in the world. Uh, it's across to an area, which sometimes we, we give crap to players for. But from where he started in this play to the opportunity he creates, he deserves all of the shout outs and 
uh, all of the praise. Another person who deserves all of the praise is Ashley Westwood for what surely must now go on like top three touches of the year. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll just really quickly jump to you, uh, Ewan. It, can you think of two better touches this year? Oh, I mean, maybe the Ben be Bender touch, the one in Philadelphia. Yeah, the touch inside. The yeah, there's the touch. There's the touch from Ben Bender to bring it inside for one of his two goals. Um, I believe it was against. Was it against was uh, it New York Red Bulls? I think no, it, it might, yeah, it might have been Red Bulls. Yeah, he went two 0 up, and then uh, yeah, drew the game two two. Where he just touches it inside of his man, and then gets on it and get has the finish. In terms, in terms of first touches, this is right up there, one hundred percent. Yeah, and then and then it's the Carroll one on the end line. Those are the only two I would even consider <laughs> possibly higher than that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there you go. Josh, any standout touches that that you might think might might be in the running here? Um, no, I, I think I think this is about it. I, I did just want to quickly say though, I think that we have to get. It's not only the touch. When you go and rewatch this, the way Ashley sees the space this is a moment where sanchez is also going to want this back sanchez gets caught up in this play i think and ashley times his run and sees the space in a very very good way he's also the one that starts this move he is running from the midfield from the midfield line into the box um altogether this is a i think just a super deserved goal for every facet from what ashley westwood did on here from starting it to his run to the finish um it it is i think a contender for our goal of the season for sure just because it's one of those where when you look at it you kind of go if you give him another hundred chances how many more times is he going to pull that off successfully it's type a, of goals i think we've know? talked about the other two <laughs> like, yeah so. um one thing i will say is i think ashley was told that he was going to be an attacking key piece in this game by latanzio um in the 16th minute you'll see him run on late and fire a ball from, I don't know, like 20-ish yards out. And it looks intentional. It looks like Christian Latanzio went to Ashley Westwood and said, if we're going to break down a low block, we need somebody who's going to be arriving late, who is going to present threat. They have to respect that somebody can take a shot from outside of the box. And especially after he had that beautiful one a couple games ago, I say a couple games ago, five games ago, six games ago, uh, league games ago. Ashley was the guy who this time was running on late and taking those shots and forcing them to respect that outside the box option. And I think that matters. I think Ashley's very good at that. And I think he went into this game knowing that he was going to be a part of the threat and made very good on the chance to be a part of the threat. Uh, I'm going to push along to the sad times, the LA goal, and you and I'm going to go to you. Tell us about what happened for the LA goal. Yeah, I think this is this is something which we've touched on, not exactly uh, in situations like this, but something that we've been touching on throughout the season, just the idea of transition defense and tra transition defense moments whereby we just commit a few too many players to our counter press and it ends up biting us. And a situation like this, you, the setup, you're almost, it goes back to another thing we talked about, which is, almost asking too much of Adilson Melanda in certain situations because on th in theory with the aggression of how 
how you want to press, how, how high you want to play generally and how aggressive you want your midfielders to be in those counter-press situations when there's a transition happening. I, the theory of how we're going to defend those breaking case of emergency type moments when they get through is that Adilson Melander's physical attributes and anticipation will bail us out. And this is almost taking that too far and putting too much on his plate, as we have done before, and it ended up ending up with it being too much for him to deal with because he ends up in a situation where he he really is dealing with two players. Um, and when you get into a situation as a defender in a moment like that, when you have to deal with two players, you end up kind of almost dealing with neither because you're so caught in two minds. We talk about mm-hmm. being caught in two minds, being on the ball in a lot of situations, maybe not so much about being caught in two minds um, as a defender as much but that is it's what attacking teams want to do most in terms of how they're trying to attack when you're settled is try and create some you know try and get you in two minds almost you know get a player running in a certain situation and make the fullback think oh should i go or should i stay this is an example of how our press creates those situations for ourselves it's the risk we take in the way that we play that creates moments like this where we put our defenders in real jeopardy um and just to describe the goal a little bit it's really nothing uh special i don't even think la would pretend that it's anything special it's just them playing out from defense with our players high a ball played into space which again Melando's in two minds about whether to go into that space or to carry with his man inside which is then played back inside to a striker who's now one-on-one with a goalkeeper and i'm not I'm not simplifying that. I'm not oversimplifying that in terms of what actually happened here. It was a ball into space and then a ball back inside to space to create a one-on-one. And he just easily rounds Kalina and puts it in the goal. So we praise Latanzio for kind of being himself, using his aggression, how aggressive he is in terms of narrow counter-press and narrow general attacking. This, like with anything in football, is the downside of that. Mm. And again, we're looking at maybe getting adjustments here where we can still be aggressive, but maybe our plan in transition and rest mm. defense is tweaked to be a little better than it was yep. here. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I'm going to really quickly say I do think Jalen gets cut out. I think that uh, he steps up to play the offside trap. It doesn't work. Uh, yeah, Josh, he does. I'm, he does. He does. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to you because I know that you had some opinions about this goal and people coming back. You don't necessarily have to share them if you don't want to. No, no, I want to share that. <laughs> um, I don't think that. <laughs> so I want to see effort. This is the fan in me that wants to see effort from our players. When you go back and watch this goal, by the time the ball hits the back of the net, there's about four LA players to two Charlotte players, not including Kalina, around our goal. And I don't know that we're stopping this, even if all 10 outfield players are busting it to get back. But I want to see someone doing that, right? Um, and that's the fan in me. I, I get it. But this this was something where I think Jalen's legs were gone. It, to me, it looks like he just didn't have it in the legs to, to make that run. Um, but the guy that starts this move for LA, he starts this move and he ends up next to the guy who scores it. Like by the time the ball goes in the net, because he is busting. He He's busting it down there. So... I, those are the little things that I think when when you think about fan frustrations, everyone's going to be frustrated by this goal. But I think it's more frustrating when you see 
what can be perceived as a lack of effort. I don't know that it is because I think in a lot of ways this is a lost cause. But from a fan perspective, true fan perspective, that was frustrating for me. I am going to stick with you and have you go ahead into uh, Charlotte's (laughs) winning goal because now that you've talked the team down, I want you to talk the team back (laughs) up. Yeah, so, you know, again, this this move starts with with Bronico. Um, he plays a, a, a good ball inside to Arfield, who is looking for a one two with uh, Carol. Carol's um, pass back to Arfield doesn't have really much of a chance at all. I mean, it, it's headed back out by an L.A. defender, but there's like three or four guys in that area. So even if that guy doesn't head it out, I don't think this ball is ever making it to Arfield. But it kindly lands to to Carol, who does what Logan insists week after week that he can't do, which is first time a ball. Um, it also helps that the ball bounces about three or four times before he has to do that. <laughs> but he makes good contact with it. It goes through a sea of legs. It's a good save, I think, also by the goalkeeper, because there are a lot of legs, a lot of bodies in front of him. Um, and I want to give credit to to Scott Arfield, too, because I think this is a really easy place for a lot of attackers to be offsides in for them to have gone too early before Carroll has struck that ball. But he is very clearly onside. He is keeping himself onside. He's watching where the ball is, but I think he's probably also has an eye on that defender in front of him. And he is just the first and the quickest to react. Um, He deserved a goal weeks ago um, with that wonderful strike that was deemed just offsides. And he finally gets, I believe this is his first goal, correct? For, uh, I think it might be a club? second. The second goal. Ewan, is that a second? Yeah, this is uh, this is a second. Goal. Okay, the second. Goal. So my pot, but he gets a he gets a second goal off a off a rebound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, little little tidy finish over the goalkeeper. You want your player to to score that, but we've seen it be fluffed. And um, yeah, we get I think what is what is a deserved lead again because again, beside aside from that that rough transition moment there, I think we've been the more deserving of the of the two clubs up until this point. So, yeah, I want to talk about that one, because you're right. One of the things I've said many, many times is that I, I, I have frustrations that Carroll will not one time a ball unless he has ages to do it. Uh, and weirdly, the the two or three times he's one timed a ball, he's scored or uh, gotten an assist for all of them. Uh, I guess he doesn't get an assist for this one. So even that's a lie. Uh <laughs> I'm thinking back to that time he one time way that, to like, rub perfect, it in way to rub it in that perfect right footed shot that I did not believe he had in his locker. And it was just the most beautiful one time that we've ever seen. Um, <laughs> get it together, Carol. One time the ball more. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he says after Carol just had like the one of his best games in a Charlotte FC shirt. OK, uh, I'm going to talk about the fact that the stats here show a really interesting story. And it's one of the reasons why you can't just look at stats, right? You have to eyeball test the game and also acknowledge what the stats do and where they come from. Because we talk about, and we have talked about XG, it's a relatively common stat. Most people will know where to find it for this game. And if you just looked at this, you'd go, well, you know what? LA kind of got the bad rub of the green. But the truth is, what the real stats show is that the game lafc were playing is they wanted to to hold charlotte to decent but not great chances and that's ultimately what charlotte got charlotte got a lot of chances that were in that 0.2 xg 0.3 xg and with like one in the 0.4 xg and we've talked before about the fact that a really 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 high quality chance in football is in that like 0.5 xg range 
if you get a coin flip chance, you've put yourself in fantastic position. What Charlotte did is we pushed so far up, we said that we are going to control you, but we are going to leave ourselves open at the back. And what that leads to is if you get broken down, you get broken down. Not a, oh, you get a 0.25 XG chance. If they beat you when you're that high up the field, it's a one-on-one with the keeper. And we see that in this game. There are two standout chances for LAFC in this match. One of them, and I know you guys are going to love this, is a 0.96. I don't know how many 0.96s I've ever seen. One chance, it is their goal, because he's already rounded the keeper by the time he takes it, and the keeper's on the ground. He doesn't have any chance to save it. Is a 0.96. And then we have the Andrew Privet giveaway. And Josh is shaking his head like, this isn't real. (laughs) Then we have the Andrew Privet giveaway, which leads to a clear one-on-one, like a four people on the keeper chance. And it's a 0.84. Uh... These two chances alone make up 1.8 XG. When you get broken open, when you are that high up the field, you are broken. I mean, it is, it's a big, these are big, 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 big chances that get given away. Um, Now, depending on where you go find these, I'm sure somebody's going to tell me, potentially Josh is going to tell me that these aren't the right numbers, but... Uh, you know, these are the ones that I have. After that, LA's chances are all 0.01 or 0.04 or 0.08. They are nothing chances, right? Charlotte did such a good job with the exception of two moments. There are two clear and standout moments where LAFC broke away and had a chance to put, put the hurt on Charlotte. And one time they did, and one time Christian Kalina came up with an absolutely amazing save. And there are times that I I give Kalina uh, questions because I, I do think he could come out and he could own his box better. And there are times that his ability to win on one-on-one, a win a one-on-one literally wins us games against some of the best teams in the league. So <laughs> like everything, there are coin flips. And when it comes to this data... This is a great example of where it's more than just the numbers. It's literally the game. Uh, And now on that, I'm going to push it to Josh to tell us how we are definitely going to go and uh, pick up another new three points. Yeah. Not against Orlando, who we're playing today, but against Nashville. Well, we'll be doing that today, too. But then over the weekend, we're going to get a further three points. Um, Nashville is a they're an interesting team to me. Um. They're currently seventh in the league. They're on 38 points. They have 31 goals. They've allowed 26, so they're very close on that. There's not much difference in their XG. But what's interesting to me is when you look at them over the past, say, three years, it's very apparent what has changed. So back in 2021, they finished third in the East. Last year, they were fifth in the West. Yes, they flip-flopped leagues multiple times. Um, And then this year, again, they're seventh, and it comes down to their goal scoring. Um, The first two years, 2021-22, they're in that 1.53, 1.59 goals per 90 range. That has plummeted to 1.2 this year. Um, And so 
what's holding them back from from reaching the heights that they've previously reached is scoring. That's flat out. And that really comes down to the fact that aside from Haney Mukhtar, who is one of the best uh who is one of the best players in the league, bar none, um, they really don't have anyone else who can score. Um, Haney Mukhtar is someone who Charlotte is going to have to put their full attention on because he scores literally half the goals in Nashville. Um, this year he has 13 goals, seven assists, which is, um, 13 out of the 30 goals that this team has last year. He had, uh, 23 goals out of their 52. Um, the key to this game, and it is no hyperbole is to stop Haney Mukhtar. Uh, there's really no one else who who jumps uh, who jumps out. There's a few other good players, but for Charlotte to win this game, it's going to have to be by stopping Haney from doing what he usually do, does, which is score and assist. Because again, he has 13 goals this year, but he also has seven assists. So he's going to get those goal involvements um, no matter what, basically. Um, that's a pure like numbers perspective of it. Uh, Ewan, I don't know what you've seen on tape though from this team. Yeah, I think it's pretty perfect the way you lay it out there that, you know, it can seem like simplistic, um, (laughs) to to (laughs) pin it down to, to just, um, Honey Mukhtar, but that is, that, that's how the team is built. Um, All of their out of possession stuff, all of their pressing, all of their build up stuff, it all functions like a 10 man team that allows him the freedom to do everything else, pretty much. And yeah. it shows in the output that he has and the percentages that he, the, the percentage of goals and assists that he and general, general goal contributions put together that he is responsible for in the team. The other thing with this, like you mentioned, you pretty much nail it there with the, uh, with, with the analysis side of this. Just looking context-wise of this fixture, we obviously had the League's Cup final, which Nashville lost on penalties. Obviously, in like a deep penalty shootout, which can have an effect on a team. They then come back into MLS play and lose 4-0 on the road to Atlanta. Tonight, Wednesday night, when we were recording, they play into Miami in Miami. Ooh, inter-messy. Yeah, mm-hmm. which then which then leads into our game, obviously, on the weekend. So we're talking about a cup final loss on penalties, then a 4-0 loss on the road, then a game against Inter-Miami, which obviously can be any score and is most likely to, to be another loss. So there's every chance that we're playing a pretty low morale side. So obviously you cover the... Uh, the the actual analysis stuff pretty perfectly there and then just from from the from the context of how this side might go into this game feeling like it might be at quite a fairly low point against a team in Charlotte who obviously we're going to win tonight we all know that yes. is coming into the yeah, game sure. off the back of off of back-to-back wins so that might be <laughs> another thing in our favor there <laughs> our positivity will never die also can we talk about the fact that you know recently we talked about like the kingpin strategy of building a team that match will actually be uh inter messi versus uh nashville mukhtar yeah. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> two two kingpin strategy teams uh or i think you and you said it much better than i did you said strong link players i think was correct yeah yeah that's correct the the idea of 
football being a strong link sport. Yeah. Two, two strong link teams. Um, I will, you know, sort of reach out like I always do and say, Josh, where are our goals coming from? Who's getting the goals this time? Um, no idea because I would like to be able to predict a lineup and I never can with Latanzio. And furthermore, um, as I look out my window, it is not great weather, which can lead to some fun football if you're a neutral. But if you have a rooting interest, I feel like it can lead to a lot of um, nerve wracking football because you don't know how that's going to how the slip I mean, and slide is going to play. If you're talking if you're talking about today's as in Wednesday time of recording match against Orlando, uh, they are currently fourth in the division and well ahead of us. So we might actually want them to have a little bit of uh bad weather chaos true <laughs> um you and as far as the the match against nashville goes who you who you put on the score sheet uh is this for charlotte or yes for charlotte <laughs> not for nashville nashville of course is going to be shut out no exactly that's uh yeah there you go that's that's the best analysis uh we've seen we've had all all day uh in terms of uh in, in terms of charlotte in this game i do wonder like I mentioned earlier, in terms of setup, if this is a game where we get Svidersky playing further away from goal and being a bigger part of the build-up, again, like um, like Josh says, there's always a chance that Latanzio with a lineup and a game plan can throw everything that we know about his teams in the air and, and go with something completely different. But if we do go with a similar setup that we've seen and a similar plan with similar roles, I can see him playing further away from goal and the beneficiary of that being those other players playing high. So almost in a way of predicting not a goal scorer, but someone who is most likely to score, usually the number nine, maybe being less likely because they're going to be getting more involved in the build-up phases. That would be something that I would look out for. And to be more specific with it, I think if Zizviak comes into this game, I think that's someone in particular who I would look out for because I think is a good matchup against Nashville. But again, there's every chance that he doesn't get a start in this game because he's not been starting recently in general. So who knows? Yeah. I would start him in this game, but yeah, it's hard with the lineups, isn't it? Well, yeah, with all of the lineup chaos and to sort of build off of Josh's point, uh, I'm going to say that we're definitely going to score via Guzman Carujo, who will be playing on the right wing. Uh, so on that really just professional analysis and lots of hopes and dreams. Uh, we love you guys. If you have decided to spend your time with us, uh, thank you so much. We will go ahead and wrap it up there so we can get to the Orlando game so we can give you all the post-match stuff for that. It's going to be a two-episode day. We hope you enjoy the content. If you want to follow us online, you can find us on Twitter at uh, the underscore crown underscore cast. You can find us on wait, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore crown underscore cast, on Twitter at the underscore crown cast. I'm all dazzled right now. Uh, and, and that's just the way it's going to be. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. And thank you, Ewan. Yep, thank you. Next time we speak on next week, we'll have two wins in our pocket, so all good. I love it. Love the positivity. <laughs> uh, and we will talk to you again when we get our next three points from Orlando. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Goodbye.